from the center of the universe and the home of your Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. It's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos postgame reaction podcast as the Toronto Argonauts clinch first place in the East Division, downing the Montreal Alouettes by a score of 23-20 in the most amazing finish we may have seen all season long, certainly for the Argos, but this one is right up there with all the CFL finishes this season. That was an amazing one. Ben Grant, not with JB today. Unfortunately, he's under the weather uh, and just you know wasn't able to give it a go tonight, uh, but he, he sends his condolences, wishes he could be here uh, to, to talk about this one because what a game it was. But he'll be back for our pregame walkthrough later on this week. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by Something in the Water Brewing. And I got to tell you a little bit about Something in the Water. This is a perfect time for a longboat right now. Argos fans are celebrating all across Canada. And what, what better drink to have in your hand than Longboat Pale Ale? The beer that was made for you, for fans of the double blue. This is the perfect time to consume one. And if you haven't been to Something in the Water, you got to check it out. They're in Liberty Village. They're just steps from Lamport Stadium where the Argos practice, and they're just steps from BMO Field where the Argos play. It's a great place to go pregame. It's a great place to go postgame in those afternoon games, and there, there may be a playoff afternoon game coming up, and maybe something in the water would be a great place to go celebrate afterwards. So make sure you check them out and check out Longboat Pale Ale. What a game. This is an unbelievable game. I was just saying to Mike Hogan as we wrapped up in the broadcast here, we, we were emotionally exhausted and if you're listening to us on the radio you you heard mike at the end just emotionally spent we were speechless there was nothing left to say we went through an emotional ringer down the stretch but a lot of stuff happened leading up to that but i think before i get into anything else and before i get into you know a bit of a recap and going through some of the players and some of the plays made the most important thing that happened tonight for the toronto argonauts is they got a taste of playoff football all season long, they've been blowing teams out. They've had huge leads going to the fourth quarter. The only exception to that was the last time they were here in Montreal where they they were pushed to the limit and Chad Kelly had to engineer a fourth quarter comeback. But even that one never really felt in doubt. It didn't feel like the Argos weren't going to find a way to pull it out. This was different. The Argos were down and out. They were going for it on third down inside their own 10-yard line. They were stopped with a few minutes left from getting a touchdown in the end zone after getting one and then having it called back on penalty. It was just a, a brutal game emotionally. And somehow, they find a way to get it down the field. They go for the score at the end. They, they go up. And yet still, Montreal has life. They come back down the field and another field goal block. This time it's by Dwayne Hendricks, not Robbie Smith. But it was... Very reminiscent of that amazing Grey Cup finish some 10 months ago. And here we are, September 15th. The Toronto Argonauts have clinched first place in the East. All right, let's break it down. Let's go through some of the things here. So the Argonauts off the start looked like they had things together. They uh, they didn't score in their first drive, but they were able to engineer a four, first quarter touchdown drive that looked close to perfect. A.J. Olette ran the ball well. He had a really nice long run. I think it was a 27-yard scamper that he had. Chad Kelly found Tommy Neald for a couple passes, and then A.J. Olette ran the ball in. That drive was like clockwork for Toronto. And 
7-3 at that point, you just sort of felt like that was how it was going to be all day. They did it with such ease. What's interesting in looking back at this, and I'm going to give Mike Hogan credit for this because he's the one that actually that actually said it uh, to me during a during a break uh, during the broadcast. He commented on how they went with tempo on that drive. And at the end of the game, when Toronto needed the score and they were driving the length of the field, again, you saw some tempo, you saw some no huddle. It seems to us that that might be a good way to generate a bit of a spark to get him going. In the no-huddle offense tonight, Chad looked fantastic. And I haven't had time to just sit and break down the numbers of, you know, no-huddle versus huddle. I bet you his passing stats in no-huddle were phenomenal. Because he ends the game with good numbers. It did not look like this, even midway through the, f- the fourth quarter. So, Chad Kelly finishes 21 of 35 for 275, one touchdown, no interceptions. And the Argos, look at their rushing stats, they're over 100 yards rushing, that's not what happened in this game. <laughs> like if you, if you just look at this box score, if you, if you were to wake up Saturday morning before listening to this podcast, you just pulled up the box score, you're like, oh, Toronto won 23-20. Look at the box score. Oh, it looks like everyone had a pretty good game. That is not what, that, that's not what went down in Montreal tonight. So uh, the offense went absolutely cold after that touchdown drive they couldn't engineer anything it was it was a combination of things and some things we haven't seen before there were some penalties and we've seen that before Toronto with uh, a lot of penalties all season long and some really really costly ones in this game I'll cover a few of those but Chad Kelly was missing guys he was missing guys that were open guys were unable to get open in man coverage at times they were really struggling and while they were able to run the ball early Montreal made a pretty nice adjustment. So, uh, you know, depth-wise, when I looked at Montreal's depth chart initially, when they first uh, published their depth chart, they looked very light, especially in the box. Like at linebacker, they were going to go with Beverett and Stubblefield, both of whom are DBs, and they were going to pair them with uh, with Williams in the middle, which, you know, he's, he's fine. He belongs there. But remember, they were dressing Sankey today. I, I think it was, yeah, it was for the first time they're dressing Sankey. They had him backing up at middle linebacker. Early in the game, Siante Evans was injured, a halfback, which forced them to move Stubblefield over to halfback. And what that allowed them to do, this was almost like a, a happy accident. You know, you don't want to lose uh, Siante Evans, obviously. But what worked out is it enabled them to try having Sankey and Williams both there at the linebacker spot. And they went heavy. So you went basically with two middles and Bevrette playing the Sam. And the effect of that was that Toronto suddenly had trouble with their power run game. What was working so well early just vanished. And so that was in part what led to Toronto going cold. So it was sort of a, a backward situation. Siani Evans is a highly valuable player, a skilled member of the Montreal Alouettes. You don't think of losing him as giving you an advantage, but what it allowed them to do led to Montreal having a bit of an edge there. And from that point on, when Toronto couldn't run, it made things difficult. And then Montreal started doing to Toronto what Toronto has done to so many other teams. They would put them in second and long situations, rush three, and send everybody back. And that was really frustrating Chad Kelly because he's not a check down guy. He's not a dink and dunk kind of quarterback. That's just not his, his MO. He's looking downfield. And when you're able to drop that many guys and just send three, you're able to cover those downfield routes. And you'd see him going through his progressions. There's nothing there, nothing there, nothing there. Look for the check down, maybe get a couple yards out of it. And it was just, yeah, it was, it was, it was cold. It was cold for the Argos. And 
They went into halftime with the lead. They added a field goal in the second quarter. They're up 10-3 at half. Uh, but neither offense could get things going. Now, let's talk about that Toronto defense in the first half because it was to a point where I legitimately thought we might not see Cody Fajardo come out to start the second half. They've got Caleb Evans at quarterback, who we've seen as a starting quarterback in the CFL before. He's mobile, and that seemed to be something Montreal desperately needed because in the first half, Cody Fajardo had no time. He couldn't even set his feet. Toronto was doing a great job of taking away the screen game, which was a big part of Montreal's game plan, just like it was last last time. But they also had everything covered deep downfield. And I think coming into this game, it looked like, based on what Montreal was trying to run, it looked like they were going to try and attack Toronto deep downfield. Cody didn't have time for that, and they just didn't have a lot of middle route options. And when they did, he didn't have time to find them. He didn't have time for those to develop. And so he was getting hit as he threw. He was getting sacked. He was being forced to to scramble, to throw off balance, and wasn't completing passes. Montreal, like for as cold as Toronto's offense went in the first cold in the first quarter, first half, Montreal was twice as cold as that. They had nothing. Halftime comes. Toronto comes out, gets a field goal on their first drive. They go up 13-3, and Montreal came out with a whole different offense. They were running slant routes, which was picking on Toronto's deep corners. Their corners were playing 10 yards off the ball. Those slant routes were picking them alive, and they weren't. They just refused to walk their halfbacks down to take those away. Mason Pierce, uh, on one side especially, was, was still playing at depth, and that's really where they started picking apart Toronto. On those slant routes, they ran some digs, they ran some some whip routes, some bang or bang routes, whatever you want to call them. Uh, usually, the, the whip or bang route looks like it's going to be a drag and then breaks to the outside. Uh, we call it a bang route usually in Canada. In the U.S., they call it a whip. Uh, everyone's got a different version of it, but that's the route I'm talking about. They ran a number of those. Those are wide open too. These are typically routes that that you have some success with against Toronto's defense, but typically you're not in a position where uh, you know, where you where you can run those, where you can, you know, you're you're usually in desperation mode trying to get points. But because Toronto's offense in the first half wasn't able to put up 20 like we've seen in almost every other game, they weren't in a rush. Montreal wasn't in a hurry and they were able to generate a few drives where they slowly picked apart the D going five, 10 yards at a time and were able to generate points off it. And Montreal scored on three straight drives to take the lead. It could have been three touchdowns, ended up being two touchdowns and a field goal. It was close, though. That was a, it was a chip shot field goal. And Toronto's offense had just disappeared. Montreal takes the lead. They're up seven late. We're in the fourth quarter now. And this is where Toronto was really tested. So in the fourth quarter, they Toronto's got the ball deep in their own end. And nothing's working. We're under six minutes now. And Toronto has to go for it. They just feel like th- this is it. Like if you're punting from inside your own 10, Montreal's already going to be in field goal range. It-, it wasn't a good situation. They'd already missed a field goal the drive before. And, and Javon Leak was able to get it out of the end zone. But they start to drive from their one yard line. They end up going for it on third down. Chad Kelly and De- DeMonte Cosi make a they make a play. And that would be a sign of things to come. There were a couple more of those later. So on this down, it's third down and three, I believe. Chad Kelly is under tremendous pressure. He knows he can't take a sack. He knows he's got to give some receiver a chance. He sees DeMonte Coxie up the sideline and just throws it up to him. Coxie does a great job fighting back to the ball, ends up drawing a flag. And it was it's the right call. 
no matter who you are, Montreal fan, Toronto fan, independent observer, it was it was a penalty. Now, Montreal challenged it, but that was more a tactical move. It was the ball game. And so it's worth the gamble at that stage. They were also getting closer to the three minute mark and you've got it. They had two timeouts still at that point. You can't use both timeouts in the CFL under three minutes. So it was an intelligent gamble for Montreal, even though I didn't think there was any way to be overturned. You never know. And the timeout would have been thrown away anyway. So I think it was worth the risk. But yeah, that one was never going to be overturned. And especially it happened like right in front of the Toronto bench. Everyone was yelling. They knew they, they knew they could see it. The referee was standing right there. He could see it. Um, so they turned that into what looked like a 109 yard touchdown drive. It ends up being converted on an amazing catch from DeMonte Coxey in the end zone. Chad Kelly just throwing it up for him. And was that on was that on third down? I think that was. I feel like that was on third down. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe that the end of that game was a blur to me. Coxey makes an amazing catch in the corner of the end zone. Amazing throw from Kelly. Coxey's blanketed, but he just has a habit, has a way of doing it. Remember the last time Toronto was in Montreal, Coxey made that catch of the season catch for a touchdown, the one-handed diving grab. This one wasn't quite on that level, but it was an amazing catch. And it's negated because there's a penalty on the play. Dijon Allen of all people, end up, ends up taking a, an extra shot on, I, I don't remember who it was, the Montreal defensive end. He beat him. He had him on the ground, threw him to the ground in pass protection. The play was over as far as Allen's concerned. Chad Kelly has re- let go of the ball, but the play's not dead yet because it hasn't been caught. The ball is in the air, and as the Alouette is lying on the ground, Allen goes and gives him a shot and basically sort of dives on him. And he knew immediately. He looked up and he saw the referee throwing the flag and he knew immediately he just cost Toronto a touchdown. They end up getting backed up uh, and that completely changed the game. On the next on the next play, they go for it again, trying to get the score. They can't get it. It's a turnover on downs. Montreal now has the ball and the uh, the ball gets kicked back to to Toronto. They're in business. Chad Kelly again leads a touchdown drive, but this one is really quick. It's a deep strike to DeMonte Coxey again. And again, it's a play that had all sorts of amazing elements to it. So first of all, it's a 41-yard touchdown pass. So that, that part is pretty incredible. But Chad Kelly had all kinds of time in the pocket. On a night where both quarterbacks were under duress most of the game, Chad had a clean pocket. He dropped back. It looked to me like he went through four progressions. He was going left to right as that concept worked itself out. First play's not there. Second play's not there. Third one's not there. Coxie's one-on-one, and he's got a chance. And so Chad Kelly, just before he gets hit, finally launches a ball. And when he released this, I didn't think there was any way Coxie was going to catch up to this one. Now, what I didn't realize was how high Chad Kelly got this ball. And that's what really allowed Coxie to find some space under it, but only barely. Coxie is trying to track the ball. He's looking, sorry, I'm I'm reenacting this and my voice is fading out. I keep moving away from the microphone here as I'm reenacting this this play from from my chair. Um, And those watching on YouTube are ridiculing me in the comments about how ridiculous I look running down the field and looking for a ball over my shoulder, and rightly so. Coxie tracks this ball catches the back half of it at the five-yard line as he's like almost hyperextending his legs, just trying to catch his balance and fall into the end zone. It was a remarkable catch. It was, it was a great throw. 
and even better catch. Still not quite the level of that diving one-hander from the last time we were in Montreal, but that was that was a that was a highlight and a half, especially given the situation. That touchdown ties it up. And the remarkable thing, though, is there was 141 left in the left in regulation. Montreal had a chance. They're now trying to bring it back and go ahead because, you know, any points at that stage win the game. It's tied 20-20. Another remarkable thing happens. Toronto gets pressure. Adarius Pickett, who's blitzing off the edge, loops back inside through a gap and hits Cody Fajardo in the spine right as he's releasing the ball. The ball flutters off target and Jamal Peters, as he always is, is standing right there. Peters catches the ball. Dwayne Hendricks leads the way and he brings it all the way back into Montreal territory. And they're already in Boris Beatty field goal range here. They have a couple plays where they're able to convert a first. They're, they're almost able to convert a first down. It's a third and one. And this was just a crucial stage in the game. It's tied. So you can't, like, you know, going for it doesn't mean you lose, but you hate to pass up on that opportunity to kick the, the game-winning field goal, especially knowing there's just not going to be a lot of time left for Montreal. I think there are people who would have gone for it in that situation. I believe Coach Dinwiddie made the right call. Third and one with only, what was there, 21 seconds left, 26 seconds left in the game by the time that that ball was put into play. You have to kick the field goal there and put Toronto up. It's just, it should not be enough time for Montreal to come back down the field and get into field goal range. And and even if they do, you should be up at that stage. But more ridiculousness to come. So third and one, they kick that field goal. It's a high snap. David Unger the third has to reach, like he is fully extended. He has to reach up to grab that ball. And, and Adam Guillemet doesn't miss. Like that's the remarkable thing about this. His snaps are on point, always. He's, he's one of the best, even though he's a rookie, he is one of the best long snappers in the CFL. Ungerer has to retrieve this one. He gets it somehow down on the puck. Only just. It's on the edge. You can see in the replay, it is on the edge of the puck. Boris Beattie doesn't miss a beat. He's not distracted in the least, and that takes a lot. Kickers are often thrown off when the mechanics of the snap and hold aren't perfect. It throws them off. They're a little early. They're late. They're, they hesitate. Beattie didn't even flinch on this. He just cleanly strikes through it. And as soon as he hit it, as soon as he made contact with the ball, he started walking away celebrating. He knew he nailed it right away. He knew he nailed it. And that put Toronto up 23-20. And there's just, there's there's not much time left, 21 seconds. And because of the CFL rules, now Toronto has to kick off. Montreal, they would love to have taken the ball on their own 40. That's what would have happened if it weren't inside three minutes, that's exactly what would have happened on any other field goal. They don't have that option here. Toronto, who had had trouble containing Chandler Worthy all night, he'd had some, he'd, he had a game today. Chandler Worthy sprung free on a couple of key returns, a couple that almost cost Toronto the game. He wasn't able to do it on this occasion. The coverage team was tight. They were able to secure him. And now there's just 15 seconds left. Montreal was looking at at least needing to get 40 yards to get into field goal range. And they did it on one play. And I still have no idea how this, this worked out, how it sprung free. It was just, a, it was just a weird series of events. Philpot ends up coming across the field. Uh, Toronto's got so many defenders back there, but everyone kind of got tangled with each other. Philpot catches the ball, gets free, and is able to get into field goal range with seven seconds left. 
Montreal runs one more play just to get a few yards closer. And now with a couple of seconds left in the game, the clock running, it's the last play of the game. Montreal is going for the game tying field goal well within field goal range to send this one into overtime. And again, just like they did in the Grey Cup, the Argos special teams unit steps up. This time it was Dwayne Hendricks who had a monster game in so many different ways, from pressures to hits to blocking for Jamal Peters on the interception return touchdown to now blocking this field goal. He came through a gap and leading a train because Wyndham McManus came through a gap behind him and Hendricks got his hand up and was able to affect that ball. And look at the replay, that ball is on target. If Hendricks doesn't block that ball, that's through. It's going to overtime. And, uh, and you know, who knows what happens at that point. Instead, he blocks it. Toronto wins. And with that win, they wrap up first place in the East. It was, it was an emotionally exhausting game, an exciting game. It, not the whole way through. That first half was for lovers of defense. There's no question. The offenses were just not there today in the first half. Not because they weren't playing well, but the defenses were really on top of things. And uh, it was a whole different story. Most of the second half... It was Montreal really moving the ball at will. And then right at the end, Toronto comes to life, scored 10 points in the fourth quarter. What a what a game. What a finish. Let's let's talk about some of these things. So first of all, let me address some injuries because there were a couple injury concerns that uh, that I have. Uh, Number one, Andrew Harris, Uh, he took what looked like a. A brutal shot, and I, I believe it. I want to say it was Reggie Stubblefield. I'm not 100% on that. Uh, he came crashing down when Chad Kelly was trying to get a, a swing pass out to Andrew Harris. Unfortunately for Harris, the ball got tipped as Kelly released it, and that delayed the timing of it. If that ball is not tipped, Harris has time to catch it, secure it, and make a move because he has to wait for it. He gets hit low because you and I don't I don't really blame uh, Stubblefield or I, I think it was Stubblefield whoever the Montreal defender was you tackle as a DB you tackle Andrew Harris low and he's thinking that Harris has time to secure it and actually make a move here so he's trying to get downhill as fast as he can the tip affects that he goes right into Harris's knee and it initially didn't look good Harris was able to jump off and jog off which I was amazed by but he still looked to me to be in considerable pain on the sideline I'm hoping that was just a contact injury, nothing more than that. I'm hoping Andrew Harris is all right. I don't know. We haven't got word any further on on the the state of Andrew Harris. So that's number one concern. Number two concern, and potentially more important in terms of depth at positions, Isaiah Cage uh, went down on what looked like a a fairly innocent play. He was run blocking. He He was trying to seal the edge, lost the seal. He ended up drawing a penalty holding the Montreal defender I feel like it was Sutton. I'm not 100% on that. I, I didn't even see, even on the replay, I can't see what happened, but he seemed to tweak something, whether it was a knee or an ankle, uh, seemed to tweak something, and uh, and he went down. Now, the good sign, and I'm going to interpret this as a good sign, is that he came back. I think it was only for one or two plays. He came back, tried to play left tackle, couldn't go, and so he came out again. What the Argos did there is they ended up moving Ryan Hunter from left guard to left tackle, uh, and, you know, we've seen them do that before, bringing McCullough at the guard spot. Uh, it's it's not ideal. You'd like to have Isaiah Cage out there. He's a great left tackle. He's been playing fantastic football all season long. But uh, an injury like that, that what I'm 
banking on is the fact that he was able to come in for a couple plays. To me, I'm just going to look at that very hopefully and assume that this means he's banged up, but it's going to be okay. But we'll cross our fingers until we know more, both on Isaiah Cage and Andrew Harris. Let's talk about some of these penalties. Uh, this, this has been a problem for Toronto all season long with a, a couple games exception, but today was just, it was brutal. 11 penalties, 97 yards, and some of them came at crucial times. They extended drives. Jamal Peters took a brutal penalty. Uh, it looked like it was for flexing over top of a Montreal receiver on an incomplete pass. And that was a play that would have forced a, a Montreal kick. Ends up turning into points. So that's a massive play. Uh, Toronto committing a penalty. Dejon Allen, I already spoke about that one, on what would have been a touchdown. Wipes that off the board. Time and time again, Toronto found a way to either bail Montreal out or put themselves in a hole by committing a penalty that just didn't need to happen. So many times, these penalties just weren't, they weren't related to, it wasn't like, you know, holding a guy because otherwise he was going to hit Chad Kelly. Like those, those penalties I can live with. If you, if you hold as an offensive lineman because you're preventing a, a D lineman from taking a clean shot at your quarterback, I can live with that. I think that's an acceptable penalty. Ideally, you make the block and that's not an issue, but I'll take a 10 yard penalty over my quarterback getting crushed. That's not what these penalties were. They were a lot of foolish penalties. There was penalties for, for talking, penalties for aggressive play, unsportsman likes. Uh, we saw a number of them. It was a chippy game. It felt like a, it felt like a, a barroom brawl at times. Nobody ejected, but both sides taking a lot of penalties. Montreal seven penalties, seventy four yards. Not as bad, but still, you know, not something they're going to be happy with either. It was a it was a physical game. This to me was like. The style of game Montreal wanted last week to be in Toronto. You remember last game how Montreal came out, well, swinging literally and figuratively. They wanted to establish the tone that they were not going to be bullied. They weren't going to be pushed around at BMO Field. Austin Mack ends up getting ejected. He went a little too far with it. But that was the attitude that Montreal seemed to be going for. It failed. But this week it worked. That's exactly the game they got. There was pushing and shoving. Guys that don't typically get worked up were getting worked up. Like you talk about guys like, like Dejon Allen. Of all the guys on the Toronto line, like they're, Toronto's got some nasty linemen. I mean that in the most positive way. Guys you want on your team. Guys that are just going to, you know, needle other guys and, and, and play through the whistle. Um, Allen is different. He's not like the rest of those Toronto linemen. Like you see it from those other guys. You see that mean, nasty play from, you know, pretty much all the way from the caster, all the way through Cage. Uh, they, you know, Toronto loves that style of lineman. I do too. Cage is way more, uh, sorry, uh, Allen is way more chill than that. And so for him to take a penalty is just so uncharacteristic of him. But guys were getting worked up. Arimolade, another guy that that doesn't talk typically was in people's faces. He was right in the face of, of a number of different Alouette offensive players. I don't think Flo took a penalty at all, but uh, just to see him worked up like that was something I'm not used to seeing. It was, it was different. This game had a very different feel. But like I said off the top, it's exactly what Toronto needed. This was a playoff-type feel. The worst thing that could have happened to Toronto today, that's probably not... It, I'm... I'm exaggerating. It's not the worst thing that could happen. What Toronto didn't want today was to clinch in a blowout. The reason that's no good is if they clinch the East in a 40 to nothing game, they get nothing out of it and they will go into the playoffs in that case, never really having been tested because no test from here on in is going to feel quite like the real thing. 
because they've already wrapped up these divisions. So suppose they get into a barn burner with the Blue Bombers in a couple weeks' time, goes down to the wire, they win one late. That still doesn't have the same intensity that this game does because this game is for something. And to go into this game, not just... Not just the way they did it, because, you know, Chad Kelly led the comeback. I talked about this before. Chad Kelly led the comeback the last time the team was in Montreal. And that's his only fourth quarter comeback of the season because it was the only chance he had in the fourth quarter. The only other time the Yargos had been losing the fourth quarter was against Calgary. Chad Kelly had been out of the game for three quarters by then due to injury. So this was the test they needed. This was playoff football. And Montreal gave them everything they could handle and more. Toronto, think about the situation they were in. To be late in the fourth quarter, down seven, Montreal kicking a field goal to go up 10, that's a test. They will get more out of this game and bond more as a team out of this game than you could ever have done in a mismatch, in a blowout, in any other way that the Argos would have clinched this this division. So hopefully they got out of it unscathed with injuries, like I said, but this couldn't have been better for the Argonauts. Like I said off the top, this was this was beautiful. All right, let's look through some of these stats um, in some of some of what, what went on here tonight because these stats are misleading. But at the end of the day, you know they they are what they are. Like looking looking defensively uh, first because I thought the Argos defense just came out on fire. But it was a whole different story in the second half. They had four sacks in the first half, only one in the second, and they had trouble generating pressure. But that first half, like Brendan Barlow was all over the place. He ended up with two sacks. Wyndham McManus had two sacks. Sean Oakman had a sack. Adarius Pickett doesn't have a sack in this game. He has 11 defensive tackles, two special teams tackles. He had a game and a half. He was all over the field. He was the one that set up the pick to Jamal Peters, but he disrupted so many other plays. He kept Montreal from converting on a number of second downs. And we've seen Pickett do that all season long. It means more to guys when they play against their former team. It just does. And you know he wanted to put on a show in front of the Montreal fans where he played last season. And so he did that. He did that and more. He had a game. One of the most important players on the Toronto defense. But, uh, you know, it's tough to single guys out because there's so many guys that stepped up. Like Arimelade was getting pressure all first half. Barlow, as I said, with two sacks. How can you not acknowledge that? Uh, let's not forget about Wyndham McManus um, getting in on the action, too. He has two sacks, makes some crucial, crucial plays. The the last sack to, you know, really knock them out of field goal range. And it, it was his sack that may have led to that that missed Montreal field goal, adding those extra five or six yards. That was massive. And then Dwayne Hendricks uh, was a player tonight. He he was all over uh, the backfield, all over Fajardo has that blocked field goal, has that, you know, which is a special teams play, but he still has the the block on defense on Jamal Peters' pick. So many great defensive performances tonight. Offensively, Chad Kelly at times did not look Chad Kelly-like. He played poorly for most of the second and third quarter. His fourth quarter was unbelievable. The leadership he showed, the poise he had, the confidence he had in his receivers. Not every play was correct, but he made some brilliant throws. And I say not every play is correct. There's there's one moment I felt he had where Argos were looking for the tying touchdown. He ended up throwing it to DeVaris Daniels, hit Daniels in the hands. He bobbles it, couldn't quite bring it down. I think Chad Kelly could have run the ball in that play. And Chad Kelly doesn't often run with the football. He'd much rather give his receivers a chance. I think it was probably the right call to go to Daniels. He was open. He did hit Daniels in the hands. Normally, he catches that. 
but I believe Chad could have run in um, untouched on that one and, and scored the touchdown. And it ended up not mattering. But little things like that, that, you know, he just felt like he was on fire in that fourth quarter and everything he did seemed to work. And so I don't really blame him for giving his best receiver a chance in the end zone on a ball that hits him in the hands. Devaris just not going to drop many passes like that. You don't see Devaris drop, drop anything, but especially the ball that hits him in the hands in the end zone, even if it's in traffic, which it was. So Chad Kelly ends up with a, a decent game numbers wise, but it was a story of like a good first and fourth, a bad second and third. He was all over the map, but ends up 21 to 35, 275 and a touchdown. H.O. Lett, hot and cold too. Great first quarter, disappeared, and then came back again in the fourth. He ends up with 10 carries, 53 yards, and a touchdown. And he had some great moments of pass protection too. Uh, let's not forget some of the other contributions. Deontay McMahon was in the game for the first time as an Argo dress tonight. Had a couple plays. He he had a, a beautiful play uh, that he took a long way. Was that a, I'm trying to remember if that was... I think that it wasn't a pass. It was a run play um, where he ended up in the backfield taking it out for like a a 25-yard gain where he looked like the player I saw in training camp. A guy that I thought at one point would beat out Javon Leak for for that last running back spot on the roster because of how well he played in training camp in preseason. I actually felt like Toronto was trying to hide him during the preseason games. He didn't get that much run, but he looked amazing in in training camp. We saw a glimpse of that on that 25-yard scamper. His lateral agility is so good. And he made a play uh, in the third quarter, I think, um, that um, was one of the more positive plays Toronto had in that in, in that second half until they got going right at the end there. So, yeah, he had a game, too. Andrew Harris won one run for 13 yards. He had a couple others, one that was uh, erased because of a Montreal penalty, one that was called back because of a Toronto penalty. Uh, his play looked way better than it showed on the stat sheet. All that survived on the stat sheet was that one carry for 13 yards and the two reception, or sorry, one reception for four yards. And, you know, that's not really indicative of his contributions tonight. Uh, receivers, Tommy Neald led the team with nine targets, seven receptions, 82 yards. He was a monster in the first half. He brings something to the Argos that they don't really have. He's, he's kind of the player that I thought Dejan Brissett might be. Brissett turned into something a little different. Uh, Brissett has a different skill set. So valuable near the end zone. Great on those jump balls. Neal does something like that. Neal is able to use his body really well. He boxes out, does the basketball thing that you see Brissett do. But Brissett does it more from a leaping perspective. Neal just kind of bodies and then extends to make catches. And he did that a lot early on. Neal is not going to feel good tomorrow morning. He took shot after shot there was a period in the third quarter where he took consecutive receptions and both times was hit so hard i thought he was going to have to come out of the game got up slowly the first time got up even more slowly the second time i was like like they got to go somewhere else like chad's got to throw to someone else for the next few plays because neil just he's a tough kid and he looked like he looked like he was feeling it you don't usually see that from tommy neil so Massive game from him, 82 yards, led, led Toronto receivers in yardage and in, and in targets and in receptions. But DeMonte Coxie, he was, he was the receiver that was there when the game was on the line. He's the one that drew the pass interference penalty that, you know, if, if there's no penalty there, the, the game's over. If there's no penalty there, it's first and goal for Montreal from like the seven-yard line or something. That completely bailed them out, and it was an earned penalty. Coxie fought back to the ball 
and force the Montreal defender to to foul him on the play. Because if he doesn't, Coxie fights back and catches that. So he was massive on that. Catches two touchdowns, one of which is erased. Both were clutch. Both were key catches. He also made a couple other catches in those final drives. That's really where he came to life. I think he only had one catch going into the first, the, going into the fourth quarter. Has those three huge catches and the pass interference penalty, which doesn't show up in the stat sheet, but was just a big a play as any. What a game from 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 Jamonte Coxie and all the Toronto receivers. All right. Let's get into players of the game and play of the game. So I'm going to throw one out for for JB here. I, again, if you're if you're, I was going to say if you're tuning in late, it's a podcast that doesn't work that way. But somehow, if you missed it in the beginning, JB's under the weather, was unable to record this one today, was elated with the result, but just had to collapse and and call it a night. Uh, I think very much he would go with the combination, and we don't like to hand out dual awards here, but the combination of Adarius Pickett and uh, Dwayne Hendricks, both of whom won this game on the defensive side of the ball for Toronto. Uh, they were tremendous. And for me, on the offensive side of the ball, I'm going to have to go with Demonte Coxie. He was largely invisible throughout the second and third quarter, but with the game on the line, when they needed plays, he made four different plays with the game hanging in the balance. And you cannot ask for anything more from a receiver. And that catch that he made for the game-tying touchdown was something else. And if you didn't get a chance to watch the game, you've got to look up the highlights on YouTube. Maybe this one will be re-airing as the game of the week. It certainly feels like that kind of game. Uh, we'll see how the other games uh, how the other games end up for the rest of the CFL weekend. But that was, that was such a good finish. I wouldn't be surprised if we see that one run again. You've got to see that catch from DeMonte Coxey. It was brilliant. So he's my player of the game. And that's also my play of the game. Uh, game on the line. Toronto needs a score to tie it up. Demonte Coxie does it in the most remarkable fashion. So uh, I, I think JB, if I'm guessing, uh, probably chooses that blocked field goal. He likes to go a little bit more outside the box. That's not hugely outside the box, but instead of the, the Coxie touchdown, he might go with the Hendricks blocked field goal. That was a massive play. Um, and that was you know certainly a play that uh, ended the game and gave Toronto the win. How about that, Argos fans? The Toronto Argonauts on September 15th are your 2023 East Division winners. And they've got time now to do what they please. But these there's some great games coming up. you got to get out to BMO Field next week. Ticats are in town. The Argos have a chance to go for the four-game sweep. That doesn't happen in CFL football. They could take all four games against the Hamilton Tiger Cats. you got to be there for that one. And the one after that... If you are an Argos fan, even one who has not been to a game in years, you have to get out to the game against Munch, against uh, Edmonton on October 6th. This is the 150th anniversary game. The reason you have to get there, first of all, the 150th is, is an amazing milestone. They're not telling me much. They're not telling me anything more than you've heard. I don't know any secrets. Uh, but I have been told that this is going to be a game that people will remember for the rest of their lives. Not only for the Argo greats of the past that are going to be there, and we know some that have been confirmed, but I know, I can tell from the way that it's being teased on the radio by Mike Hogan and by the organization, there are some names we haven't heard yet that are going to be really, really big. The guys we know are coming, uh, you know, Ricky Ray um, is going to be there, Conrad Holloway, who can't wait to see Greer. 
uh, Mitchell. Like there's so many of the, you know, some just, you know, name it, you know, an Argos player that, that, that you fell in love with as a, as a kid that got you into watching CFL football, Rocket Ishmael. Like they're, these guys are, they're all going to be there. And there's a couple of, uh, surprise guests as well. And I'm being told that the halftime show is just something that, uh, will be a spectacle that you will remember. I just made spectacle into a four syllable word uh, that you will remember for the rest of your life. So get out to that one against the Edmonton Elks, uh, October 6th. And uh, let's not forget this. This is a game against the Blue Bombers mixed in there. This is this is an exciting stretch. And Coach Dinwiddie's going to have to make some difficult decisions. We'll talk about that in our pregame walkthrough this week. We'll start talking about who you rest, because I think you have to be smart about this. It's so early that Coach Dinwiddie's going to have to approach this very differently. If this were the second last week of the season, third last week of the season, maybe you play the starters for one more game, rest them. You can't rest from here on out. Like that, you can't, we're, we're talking about like, we got a month and a half of football to play before the Argos play their playoff game. Uh, you can't take guys off. Now, it's it's a luxury. You would way, you much prefer to have this than the other situation where you're playing, you know, tooth and nail right down, fighting down to the, down to the wire. But it's a lot of time. Maybe they cycle guys through. Maybe they give a couple guys a game off here, a couple guys a game here. Maybe they go like full game at a time. Maybe they decide, okay, this game here, we're gonna we're gonna test. Uh, we're gonna get Dukes and Scott in the game. We're gonna get everyone else. We we've seen them do that in the past. Edmonton a couple of years ago, uh, and it, it's an opportunity that gives guys a chance to play. And like, like the Chad Kelly game last year, how valuable was that? They they rested guys in the quote-unquote meaningless game against Montreal, the last game of the season, that was massive because Chad Kelly got to play a full game, finally got some meaningful time, and he was needed in the Grey Cup. Like, these are, this is what Toronto needs it for. They've got great depth. Most of it's been tested already, but they can use these last six games as an opportunity to uh, really work uh, on some of the depth, get guys experience, get some starting experience for some guys that really haven't had playing time, including some of the new signings and stuff too. So that's what I expect Toronto will work a little bit at down the stretch, but they're not just going to take it easy for the, the next six games because that you, you don't want to go into a playoff game cold like that. So we'll see how it goes down. A lot of exciting things to come. I am emotionally exhausted. Make sure you check out my thoughts on 3downnation.com. I'll have those up Saturday morning. And uh, absolutely tune in to our pregame walkthrough next week as JB and I will go over the plan now that the Argos have wrapped up first place in the East Division. That will just about do it for us on this postgame reaction X's and Argos podcast brought to you by Something in the Water Brewing. For the ailing JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya.